Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will and I'm here with my two friends Anna and Ant. Welcome and hello. I really liked how you increased the volume towards the end. I know, you got, you got so excited. <laughs> it's like you've been studying humans for a while and realise inflection changes sometimes. <laughs> oh, uh, also, hi. Human, <laughs> human studies. So, so this week in human studies, we're going to talk about 1664. 1664. Which is the year that a certain beer was founded. Yeah. Cronenberg. Cronenberg. That's really? why we're all drinking them right is now. It in Cronenberg is it, right now. Oh, that is the number. That's, yeah, yeah that's it's the, the number. Yeah. Why didn't we do that? I didn't do that. Did anyone do this? No, I thought about it and then I looked at it and it was like, yep, a brewery was founded. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it may okay. or may not come up in my section. Ooh. 1664 is also one of the only years in the common era to contain each Roman numeral exactly once. Oh. There are eight years. Oh, wow. Is that right? That's yeah. a very good fact. M-D-C-L-X-I-V. Huh. Presumably uh. M-D-C-L-X-V-I also works. I should have known that because I, I always do mental arithmetic in my head using Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> I like to yeah. use Neolithic uh, stone carvings. Right? It takes you forever to figure out the tip on a bill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. I want three word previews, please, from you all first. Anna. The nose knows. The nose knows. For me, Italian military supremacy. Oh, <laughs> psych. Amazing. Um, and my one is big red storm. Big, big, big red storm. Big red storm. Oh, I know what you're talking. Haven't you already talked about this? Well, we'll see, won't we? Probably. <laughs> Okay, this week I am going to talk about the enormous blob on Jupiter. Wait, didn't you talk about this already? I swear you've covered the, the big red dot before. I Have I made this up? Am I going mad? I know. 
Oh, no, please continue. I want to learn about it again, maybe. Have I? I don't know. Maybe you talked about it when you... I don't think it was ever a feature. Oh, my God. Surely I'd remember. Yeah, I think maybe you talked about it when you talked about the um, Halley's Comet. Right. Or global uh, cosmic Britain, maybe. <laughs> cosmic Britain. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, that's that's a totally different blob. Okay, sorry, okay. sorry, 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 sorry. Carry on. Yeah. Um. And anyway, um, I think even if I had, um, I don't think people would notice. I mean, no one listens that carefully. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we can't remember, then certainly none of the listeners. Oh, exactly not. I think I would remember. <laughs> so this particular blob was spotted in. The sky. Jupiter? The sky. <laughs> oh. So 1664 was okay. the first time it was spotted. So what is the great red spot, William? Thanks for asking. The great red spot is a high pressure region mm. in the atmosphere of Jupiter. Yeah. Which is a planet in the solar system. Yes. Anna. Allegedly. Allegedly. And this podcast... Takes the position that Jupiter... Doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm William. Don't believe in pressure. Pressure's for tires. I think I think we're in a high pressure region right now, and Will has actually cracked. Okay, so uh, the uh, and I this is a um, yeah, so it's a high it's high pressure region, and I think um, it, 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 in many ways uh, similar to this this whole undertaking that yep. we are doing today. Uh-huh. You know, it is it is both persistent and and lethal to humans <laughs> and and uh it it has these like enormously high winds so it's it's absolutely outrageous the whole thing is crazy so it, the, the wind speeds are like 400 th- up to 432 kilometers an hour is the winds that have been clocked are you talking like, about the podcast now or the great red spot <laughs> this is all the podcast okay good. yeah uh, so it's like, which is like twice the speed i don't know actually maybe not quite yeah, that, yeah twice the speed of an average kite flying contest maximum threshold i would say exactly us kiters wouldn't go out in that. <laughs> okay, so this is going to be one of those unhinged episodes. <laughs> well, I just like kiting, okay? <laughs> I know you do. Oh, good Lord. Uh, so, and we have, observa- we have observed the, the Great Red, Red Spot now, at this point, for the last 359 years continuously, which is completely bonkers, of course. But although history is, is, is when you dig into it, there's a bit of murkiness um, on this point because it turns out that a storm has been seen on Jupiter oh. continuously, yeah, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. the same storm. There were like gaps in observations of several decades at one point. It could have been just the good red spot at a certain point. <laughs> There's a really good like clear cell ad that you can make for this where you get a spaceship, oh. you launch it up and it solves it and then it's gone. And then... Yeah, you could really torment a teenage girl by saying we've been able to see that great red spot for 385 <laughs> years <laughs> continuously. Oh, that's so sad. And um, I mean, yeah, but it's also slightly mad to me that no one, I mean, there are these big gaps in people looking up at Jupiter, basically. Like literally no one like glanced up at Jupiter for like 40 years at different points in the past. But anyway, so um, it seems pretty likely it was the same one. Um, and uh, really, it's a, so it's a massive storm. Can you guess the size of the storm? I think I do know it's something along the lines of it's like three Earths wide or something. Crazy yeah, like I'm going to say something that's so embarrassing because it's, it's just going to be like orders of magnitude out. I'm going to say it's one Earth. Yeah, so you are both in the right ballpark. Okay. So it turns out, interestingly, that it's reducing in size Ooh. right now very quickly. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah, because and when it gets to, when it di- eventually disappears, which we'll come to in a moment, the world will end. 
the great red countdown clock. Exactly. So it turns out that it's reducing in size quite rapidly. But so it was at its largest into um, that we've observed it at about a hundred years ago. Okay. And at that point, it was forty thousand kilometers in diameter, which is about three Earths size. Wow. It, it is now just a little bit over one Earth diameter. So it's, wow. It, so we somehow both won. Sound that Ozempic, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the great red spot is on Ozempic. And, and at the present rate of reduction, it will become entirely circular. So it's like quite oval and broad now, but it's getting smaller and more circular. And it'll be entirely circular by 2040, which is not that long away, not that far away, really, in like, you know, cosmic terms. Can you confirm that it's making a <laughs> noise as it, as it closes? <laughs> It does. No, I can confirm. Yeah. I can confirm that it does make that noise. Of course it makes that noise. Um, and it's anyway, no one really knows how long the whole thing, the thing will like continue to exist. But, and no one really understands really very much about what the fluctuations are. But it, in 2019, so only four years ago, it began to sort of flake at its edges. No, I, I find this all, I, I find this all quite fascinating because when we're th- when you think of, the, of space, you think of things um, being kind of... St- consistent and yeah. only changing over millions of years yeah. mm. and then you're looking at this enormous structure that's four times three times the size of earth and now only just over a, one times the size of earth and it's changing so fast and it's like we're able to observe it on another planet anyway it's just kind of fascinating it is me. really cool and can so, you describe the flaking though what does that mean yeah so so basically the edges are like the edges are starting to kind of dissipate in a way that look makes it look like there's less energy in it than there was. Uh, as in, like, the whole thing has less kind of centrifugal force, yeah. as it were. Centrifugal? Centripetal? Centripetal. Uh, yeah. Warner the other. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's the one... about the only thing I remember from physics is yeah. that it's almost never yeah, centrifugal. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, remember yeah. my science teacher twirling a bucket of uh, water over his head uh, in a circle and then realizing... In order to slow down. <laughs> and he did say, I should have used sand. I, would I, rather, I still think he's spinning to this day. I think I would rather have a bucket of water dumped on my head than sand. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, so, anyway, sorry. Uh, the shrinking and the flaking together mean that a lot of us a lot of astronomers these days and and, and avid jupiter watchers mm-hmm. jovian jo- jovianophiles jovianophiles jovophiles maybe uh, telejoves tele <laughs> telejoves uh believe that the spot may disappear within 20 years at which point of course the earth will end i thought of a life will end or no sorry jehovah's witnesses that is very different. Yeah, no, but like if you did it, Jupiter witness, never, never. Jove, Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, Jehovah. Yeah. Jo- oh, you're saying Jehovah's yeah, Witnesses, Jehovah's not Witnesses. Jehovah's. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll good. allow that. Thanks. Um, iterative wit. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, okay, but there are other astronomers out there who think that maybe the size is linked to um, like the cloud coverage changing at right at like the top of because we obviously we're seeing the top of the storm right, but the, but actually the underlying vortex is like not really changing very much. But really, no one really has much of a clue. It turns out. So the whole thing it rotates. Actually, it rotates. Can you guess whether it rotates clockwise or counterclockwise? Ooh. I can guess. Do that. <laughs> I think it's um, so it spins the same direction as Earth, so that the actual the actual planet spins the same direction. Nearly all the planets in the solar system do, for reasons of science, and therefore that means because it's on the northern hemisphere, I think it goes clockwise. I think the top of it goes clockwise and the bottom of it goes anti-clockwise. That Depends if you no look at it from the top down. <laughs> yep. 
or you're looking at it lying down up. <laughs> I think we're thinking about this with a with a really terrestrial earthbound uh. concept of physics. And I think that on Jupiter there are no clocks, first of all. So how can I say clockwise or not? I mean, what is a four-dimensional vortex? <laughs> you're that is a great question. Um, so it turns out it does rotate counterclockwise. Uh, which is oh. not what either of you said, but and and, and uh, the period. Oh, very good preamble, though, okay. so I get it's, some bonus points. It's right? actually kind of remarkable that in a question with only two answers, <laughs> we both missed. It's astonishing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and how I was thinking of the Gulf Stream. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course you were. And um, <laughs> so what was okay? What, how long does it take to rotate? Here we go. Wait, the storm. Or so the a storm. Planets? So so if I'm a st- if I'm if I'm the, the big red spot, I'll put it this way: if I'm the big red spot and I'm rotating. Yeah. How long, how long until I'm back up the way I am now? Four <laughs> miles an hour, three times the size of Earth. How's, how, how, what's the circumference of the Earth? 18,000 miles or something like that? Something like that. So, so it's, it's probably pretty close. <laughs> it's, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's, it, it like takes 24 hands mm, 14 days, Earth days. The circumference of Earth is 40,000 kilometers. Oh, okay, yeah. If you're okay, cool. We all know who's follow the uh, spherical world pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Circumference. Yeah, circumference. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the straight line between ice wall to ice wall. <laughs> yeah, is exactly. Yeah. It's 40,000. Uh, so, what was your answer, Ant? Mm. 14 days. I'm doubling that now to 28 days. 28 Why days? are you doubling it? I'm not doubling it. I'm keeping it 14 days. So, 14 Earth days. 14 Earth days. Okay. 20 minutes. Uh, I think it's 20 <laughs> Earth minutes. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. It's fucking oh, fast, that's man. Fast. That's too fast. I, I want to revise that. I think it's way higher, actually. I think it's probably 50, 50 days. It is 4.5 Earth days. Holy crap. That oh, wow. I was closer. That would that would absolutely cancel <laughs> International Kiting Championships. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a danger. Called off for inclement weather. <laughs> um, and, no one, and no one really knows why it has this color it has. There are a few hypotheses supported by some experiments so some people think that it's red because um just clouds and some people (laughs) some people think that it has something to do with the irradiation of the ammonium hydrosulfide which is uh so like when that interacts with the sun um basically no one really has much of a clue some people think it's because red is its favorite taylor swift album is that taylor swift (laughs) album oh yeah Um, and some people think it's because Red is its favorite Taylor Swift album. Yeah, of course. Uh, Ju- Jupiter's atmosphere mainly helium and hydrogen. Did you know that? <laughs> I did. Isn't like most everything in the solar system mainly helium and hydrogen? Well, yeah, when you put it like that, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So anyway, no one really knows. There you go. So there's some stuff about the big red spot first spotted in 1664 by a, a man, Galileo. Probably not. Is that true? I don't think it was, but I do have some other Jupiter facts. Oh God! Actually, that I do know. That did you know that Jupiter is the planet of luck, fortune, success, and generosity? Mm. And it's a kind and abundant force for good in the universe. Um, it's an expansive, big-thinking, healthy, wealthy, and powerful, an engine of achievement and success. And that's all according to uh, Cosmopolitan.com's guide to your Jupiter sign. Nice. There you go. Thanks very much. No mention spots. Robert so, Hook. Robert Hook in 1664, or potentially Cassini. The following year. Nice. It's disputed. Very cool. Good job, Jupiter. Bye, Jove. Bye, Jove. And um, and and it's useful to know. And if you, yeah, if you ever, ever want to know how long you have left to live on Earth, just take a look up at Jupiter. And uh, you can judge it by the size of the diminishing <laughs> Great Red Spot. <laughs> 17 years from today is the answer. Wow. I'll be dead. <laughs>
Oh my god. Because <laughs> Will will have killed me. This is the warning now. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay, Italian military supremacy. We are of talk, of course, talking about Hungary. Um, but specifically, we're okay. talking about the Battle of St. Gotthard, which oh. happened in the year 1664, which is the year in question. Ding, ding, ding. Bonus points. I did it this time. A good day to Gotthard. A good day to Gotthard or die trying. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's a, about a clash of armies, a tale of intrigue and might. And I am going to weave for you a tapestry of human ambition struggle, strife, shifting allegiances, and ultimately shaping Europe's destiny. So, come with me, weary traveller. Oh boy. <laughs> Sit a while <laughs> while I regale you of tales of the mosaic of historical forces and personal tribulations that accumulate on the banks of the River Rab in Hungary. Usually when he does such a big preamble... <laughs> It ends in some sort of unhinged rant. Yeah. No. Then literally the next word out of his mouth will be Pope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. Big holy guy. <laughs> no, um, so in the 17th century, as we all know, Europe was a veritable ch- uh, chessboard of empires. Vying for power. I mistyped that. It says cheeseboard. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think it was probably a cheeseboard too. It's a too. cheeseboard of empires. Yeah. Uh, I think that so, still applies. I mean, yeah. like, you're saying there's like maybe eight different empires. Yeah, yeah. and like a chutney that's like a sub-empire. <laughs> yeah, a couple of pickles and stuff yeah. like that as well, for sure. So uh, the biggest pickle of all, though, was the Ottoman Empire which was a behemoth that stretched across three continents at this stage. It was formed in modern-day Turkey centuries before, in about 1453, when it conquered Constantinople. I mean, it was forming for a while. But it was also locked in a centuries-old back-and-forth little palava with its arch-nemesis, the Habsburgs. Mm. So the Habsburgs, uh, interesting family outfit, I guess, uh, rulers of a vast swath of Central Europe, um, including uh, Austria, uh, where the Battle of St. Gotthard was sort of the main antagonist were there. Um, so this is a really pivotal point for the Habsburgs in general in Europe and the Ottoman Empire, as we shall see. So, the Ottoman Empire, once invincible on, under Soleimane the Magnificent, was seeking to reassert its waning influence at the time by progressing ever westward to uh, take on uh, Vienna, I think, really, basically. Um, so the masterminds of the resurgence were the Coprolis uh, family, which is a dynasty of these savvy statesmen and generals. They actually provided six grand viziers to the Ottoman Empire, of which um, there are the of which one of them now, Kapuli Fazil Ahmed Pasa, was the grand vizier at the time, and Fazil meaning wise. So you may call me Aunt Fazil, if you like. Faisal. Faisal. Yeah. Wise. Great. <laughs> Faisal. F-A-Z-I-L. F-A-Z-I-L. Oh, no. I don't know what that means. Well, you should have come to me as the wise man. <laughs> um, their goal was to solidify Ottoman presence in Hungary and push towards the heart of Europe, namely Vienna, um, for probably the cafe culture. Um, <laughs> Sasha torts. Yeah, mm, that's very good. Uh, opposing them, of course, were the Habsburgs with Emperor Leopold from the Habsburg family, the first at the helm of the Holy Roman Empire, um, and who was anxious to defend Christendom's eastern frontier from these upstart Ottomans. Uh, 
Leopold's realm was riven with religious divides, though, uh, and so it forced him to rely on this hodgepodge alliance between the Protestant German princes and even France, his traditional rival, Mm. for aid in this battle. Um, Interesting point about the Habsburgs' monarchy in general. Uh, It's kind of like an unofficial term to refer to Central European monarchy as a a sort of a rule from the, the 13th century. The lands shifted, but largely the same sort of familial groups stayed. Uh, and Vienna kind of was the de facto capital of this like sort of fluid empire in all but is all but name as an empire. Um, on the f- on the cheese board, sorry to mm-hmm. interrupt. Obviously, the French would be a brie or something. Yeah, of course. What are the Habsburgs? Mm. An Austrian goat milk. Yeah, some sort of like yeah mm. Alpine cheese mm. or like a muesli. Yeah, muesli milk. And then um, the Ottomans would be. Like a Lebna or a Feta or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. True. And the Germans. They have. Do they have grease? Or like a kefir. Yeah, yeah kefir, oh, kefir. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something fermented. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the Germans are a badger. A badger. Badger. Badger cheese. Mm, just a badger. Oh, just a badger. Okay. Fermented by badgers. Yeah. Great. Um, I just wanted to make sure everybody has a good mental image of what's about to happen. <laughs> but important is to note is that they never took on the title normally of like king or queen of an empire or emperor itself. Um, and are often like archdukes and grand princes and that kind of stuff. So they had these like magnificent titles and stuff, which was effectively default. They were in charge of everything. However, Leopold was uh, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, which is again a sort of a loose definition of things really more than anything else. Anyway, enter one spiffy Italian, Count Raimondo Monticello. Monticello. Okay. Monticello. Raimondo Monticello. <laughs> he, he had a stutter and that's how it was written. Um, he was a seasoned Italian born commander. With oregano seasoned? It was so or? much oregano on this guy. I say oregano. but Yeah, know. I can't get behind that one. Sorry. Uh, but his military acumen was sharpened actually because he entered service in the army as a foot soldier in the Thirty Years War. Mm-hmm. And he survived the entirety of the Thirty Years' War, and he was soldiering for thirty years, where he raised the rank, raised to the ranks, and he survived it. And eventually, at this stage now of hard graft and experience, he was appointed the Habsburgs' war councillor and commanded the troops for the duration of this Austro-Turkish War, in which this battle takes place. It's pretty so cool. The odds were very much stacked against him. The Ottomans had a vast, vast. Uh, empire to draw troops from they had interesting tactics etc but on the day in question august the 1st 1664 the two sides collided Raimondo's troops which was a coalition of germans swedes and french unusually all together faced the ottomans formidable host led by the grand vizier and the battle raged but despite being outnumbered Raimondo's strategic genius prevailed and he employed various tactics that enabled this so three things in particular positioning he made use of terrain near the rab river itself which hindered the ottoman empire's advances uh, having the river either in front of him in places so that he could harry them with the crossing or behind them for strategic defense so they couldn't be snuck up on so he's very very good at like i guess river positioning um it, yeah, which, I mean, no, it's it's important to know where where yeah, good point, good river point, wet, way. wet gap crossing. <laughs> wet gap That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he also used <laughs> c- combined arms, which meant that he had a mix of infantry, cavalry, and artillery in smaller unit sizes, which was really effective to counter the Ottoman troops, who would then have larger blocks of mono type of troops. So they mm. have a large block of infantry, 
and they'd have a large block of cavalry or something like that and they couldn't never adapt. the twain shall meet yeah and they, okay. they couldn't adapt very quickly to this like this multifaceted combined arms approach in smaller tactics and they also used surprise and mobility um, you know, they also executed this heroic charge that's very famous for the area where they took on the Ottoman forces and they were so vastly outnumbered that it completely, like, they're never going to charge us uphill at night in a storm. Yeah, six inches deep of snow. It, it, yeah. it, the whole lot. It was very heroic. There's many songs sung about it. Does it have a one cool... of them goes a little... No. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have a cool name, though? Like Charge of the Light Brigade? No, it, ju- it just goes under the heading of Surprise and Mobility and what I've written. <laughs> okay well that's that needs a little bit of a rebrand uh, i don't I think say. it does have a, i don't think it's a name i think it's just like the the charge of uh, you know the whole thing is the battle of whatever and that's like the specific battle is, is cool so um ultimately though raimondo's massive experience won the day for them and they threw back the ottomans and in the this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Aftermath, the Ottomans being defeated, there was a peace treaty that followed. And it was the Peace of Vasvar, which was actually curiously very lenient towards the Ottomans. Um, for one thing, you know, the Habsburgs stopped pressing their military advantage um, and didn't continue going into their territories and pushing them back, which they absolutely could have done and just in a, in a full route. And they sought out negotiations very quickly and uh, to, to make this treaty. Um, in this treaty, they actually gave up territory to the Ottomans and they recognised Ottoman authority over certain other areas. It's not a great treaty. Yeah, it's, it's really not. And all they got really from this was like minor economic conce- concessions and like trading rights in the Ottoman Empire and stuff like that. So really, really small gains for a lot of bloodshed. Hmm. And this really led to a lot of people in Hungary uh, to be very upset with Leopold, not least of which the people who are now part of the Ottoman Empire because of this treaty. <laughs> and everyone was thinking, like, what was the point in all of this? And so the, 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 the realms were divided in two, really. Some saw it as this massive diplomatic manoeuvre to establish a secure and lasting peace, the status quo, which actually didn't continue until the end of World War One, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him to refocus his efforts onto France rather than having two flanks that he needs to take care of. Another saw it as a massive waste of time, money, effort, and you're throwing away parts of the kingdom, etc. So, um, this Which did... was it? Call in and, and tell us. <laughs> yeah. uh, this did sow the seeds then, of course, for future unrest, there was conspiracies and uprisings with Hungary itself. Um, you know, Leopold actually 
you, you know, they're debating whether he's fit to be ruler, etc., all that kind of stuff. Um, and thinking people just got thrown into the meat grinder for absolutely nothing, just political maneuvering rather than actually like a sort of a... So is that metaphorical a, a meat grinder? Um, yeah, <laughs> ma- metaphorical meat. Yeah, the German okay. meat grinder. I just, I don't, you know, this was these... These yeah, were times true, of yeah, barbarism. True. true. Raimondo, however, emerged as a hero. He became the uh, gr- grand ruler, a grand uh, general, um, and his name is held in high esteem in military lore. Uh, there's a modern naval ship in the Italian Navy named after him. Uh, on the other side, the Grand Vizier ambitions were thwarted, um, but bizarrely, actually, even though it was a military defeat, his reputation was actually enhanced as a master strategist, and it was seen as this sort of like tactical withdrawal for better gains. So he actually, it, it kind of was a great diplomatic move because, yeah. you know, he, the Ottoman Empire wasn't embarrassed, they held a status quo, but they didn't encroach further westwards. So interesting kind of war is not the end state of this diplomatic maneuver, I guess. It's not just conquest through arms, which is an interesting sort of new approach uh, to warfare, really. Ultimately, the Battle of St. Gotthard was yet another pivotal point in the rise and fall of empires within Europe. Uh, you know, it wasn't a complete victory on either side, but it's just a, kind of an interesting case study. Uh, and the Ottomans continued to be powerful up until World War II, and the Habsburgs, you know, had rebellions, and but they still managed to consolidate power, and in spite of this, were largely held onto it until the lands were split into nation-states post-World War I on November 11th, 1918. So, um, yeah... Habsburgs very much are still a force for the world, and so were the Ottoman Empire for a very long time. There you go. Cool. That's it. That's history. That's that's what it comes down to is <laughs> battles that, in the grand scheme of things, didn't really matter that much. <laughs> well, it kind of did. It kind of like a esta- like it established a new status quo that's, that held for so long. Yeah. Even though it wasn't like the battle itself wasn't decisive but that's the true diplomatic surroundings because then europe would spend most of the next three centuries just fighting each other yeah yeah exactly exactly while the ottomans laughed into their cultured fermented mm, milks milks yeah. <laughs> and coffee mm. with their badger friends with, with their, their badger, badger friends with their badgers yeah curiously quiet in that the badgers I today am talking about a man named Jean-Baptiste Poquelin, who we, of course, all know better by his stage name. Ash Ketchum, gotta catch him. (laughs) Ash Ketchum. I'm talking about the very first Pokemon. Oh, you look like you were going to guess who I'm talking about, Will. I don't know what's happening. Okay. (laughs) How far back does that go? (laughs) Um, About nine or ten months at this stage. Okay, great. Uh, Now I'm talking about Moliere, uh, the French playwright. Have you guys heard of him? Uh, Mm -hmm. familiar rattling in my brain somewhere yeah great I mean he's basically like Francis Shakespeare oh okay Uh, so much he did like Steamboat Mickey he did Steamboat Mickey (laughs) which was like a weird bootleg version of Steamboat Willie Steamboat Willie (laughs) (laughs) why was he called Steamboat Willie was was Mickey Mouse originally called Willie what? No, I think Steamboat Willie is just the first Disney cartoon. Ah, so did he, did, they, maybe he did turn into Mickey Mouse. Was that guy? It was maybe Willie was a different guy. Yeah, maybe the steamboat was called Willie, and then ah, Mickey yeah. Mouse was on the boat. Yeah. I'm going to pivot now and spend this entire <laughs> my entire segment talking about Steamboat Willie. 
Uh, no, Moliere, the French Shakespeare, so much uh, so that they some people call French the language of Moliere. Um, I personally have been petitioning a few places around the world to see if anybody would consider renaming their language the language of Macaulay. Mm-hmm. Not like the big ones, because that's not going to happen. But there's got to be something that has like, you know, 500 speakers left or something. And I think my personal brand could really elevate it. Okay. Like Togalog or something like that. I think that has a few more than 500 speakers, probably in the tens, if not hundreds of millions. Well, that's Tagalog. I'm talking about Togalog. Oh, Togalog. Which is the uh, rare language spoken by duvet salesmen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, good. Duvet salesmen, please write in. Anyway, so uh, Moliere, great guy, loved loved to play uh, French, etc., etc. He was born into a very wealthy family in 1622, And in a great story, one of my favorites that I've uncovered recently, when he was born, a family maid saw him and exclaimed, Le nez! Which, of course, in French means the nose. Oh, I thought it meant the year. Yeah, the nose. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, sorry. (laughs) Le nez. Because he had, I guess, an exceptionally large nose, especially for a baby. And then his family would call him Lene during his childhood, which I think is a great way to ensure that your child will become a comedian because you've just eviscerated his self-esteem from a young age. Poor kid. Yeah, he got absolutely rinsed. Uh, Moliere's... My nickname... No, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to edit this out. Okay. (laughs) My nickname was Lapinus. Yeah. Yeah. We all all saw that coming. I might not edit this out. You could have been like... The belly button or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, boy, I can't. I just can't move on from this. Uh, Moliere's father purchased for himself a post in the court, which I didn't realize you could do. And he bought himself the position of uh, valet or valet of the king's chamber. Great. And keeper of carpets and upholstery oh there you go he speaks tagalog (laughs) (laughs) definitely spoke fluent tagalog wasn't the valet the person that did the ship buckets so i think that would be like his the king's personal valet uh, or as the english would say valet um but we don't say valet yeah you do no we don't yeah we've had this argument before do you say valet a valet i I rarely say either (laughs) a valet is the guy who parks the cars but have you ever watched downton abbey Mr. Bates is the okay. valet, okay, your, your no, gentleman's gentleman. Um, I just throw my keys. Yeah, <laughs> into the chamber pot, <laughs> see what happens. Uh, anyway, so this guy, Moliere's father, was in charge of keeping the carpets and upholstery, which was a pretty cushy job. That, he, uh-huh. eh, that actually was unintentional. Uh, it required one month's work per year, but made him a lot of money incredible which i'm so if anybody is looking for a keeper of carpets and upholstery let me know uh and then moliere would eventually inherit this uh this position which is great and he enrolled in law school so he's cruising for this lovely white collar life but when he was 21 he was bitten by the acting bug oh yes we've all been bitten. we've all been bitten by that (laughs) Uh, he dropped out of law school and linked up with an actress he had met earlier to found a theater. Mm. And this was a big deal because at this time in France, actors were of a really low social class as opposed to today when they rule (laughs) everything. Uh, so this was a big break with his family and with what was expected of him. 
but the theater did really well. Oh. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> it, it went bankrupt after only two years, and he had to go to prison for 24 hours. And while in prison, he contracted tuberculosis. Oh, God. <laughs> so why was he in prison? <laughs> because um, the theater had accrued so many debts oh, wow. that he couldn't pay. And then when he was in prison, uh, somehow, it, scholars dispute what happened, but the debts were paid either by Moyer's father, which I think unlikely, or by an anonymous benefactor. Mm-hmm. But he did get to uh, TB, which is the worst. Not great. Not great. Was there a badger in there in the cell? Probably. They, in yeah. course, he carried a German. TB. A German. There was a German. <laughs> to our German listeners, I'm sorry. You're not. You're not exactly like badgers. Yeah. Not all of you have TB. <laughs> anyway, he gets out of prison, pays his debts, and this is probably when he changes his name from whatever I said it was in the beginning, Jean Baptiste Poquelin to Moliere. Moliere? Moliere. Mm-hmm. There's an E at the end of it, so I think it's Moliere. Yeah. I don't speak very good French. Anyway, it was a way to stop casting so much shame on his family. And then this is where it starts to get weird, because even though acting is seen as this really low-class, almost taboo profession, he and his company gain the patronage of lots of really important people, including the elder brother of Louis XIV, and Armand, the Prince of Conti, who was a very important nobleman. Armand, by the way, eventually contracts syphilis from a courtesan and turns toward religion, as you would probably do in that situation, and then becomes Moliere's enemy. But regardless, he, he, Moliere and his troop really have the favor of the king. They play for the king himself at the Louvre, which at that time you could rent and use as a theater. Um, and even though he prefers tragedies, he becomes really famous for his comedies and satires, which such names as The Imaginary Cuckold, The Blunderer, and The School for Wives. The School for Wives. <laughs> yeah. wow. Amazing. Um, and in 1661, a man named Nicolas Fouquet gave a series of parties in honor of Louis XIV and staged several of Moliere's comedies during the parties. But then the first minister of state arrested Fouquet for wasting public money. Yes. And he was given a life sentence. Yes. So this is actually, I do know about this. So this guy, so his house he had built, he was trying to ingratiate himself with the king but he would often upstage the king. Mm. And so he built his house and he had the finest architect in the land. The Palace of Versailles would go on then to be designed by the same architect that built his house. And he had this grand massive party that was supposed to be like in honour of the king, but because he was the epicentre of it, um, he then, like the king basically sort of snubbed him. All of society frowned upon him. And then he was subsequently arrested for wasting public funds, which he was doing completely in cahoots with the king. Yeah, to so the honor king the king. This. Yeah, the king knew this that he's like, yeah, you take some, I take some. It's all good. We're all yeah. ripping everyone off. But I'm going to turn on you because you've upstaged me because the king was just like completely, you know, uh, insecure. Actually, I know they have this wild understanding of the theater. They really just can't decide if they're totally ashamed of it or if they really want to celebrate it. But yeah, at this guy at Nicolas Fouquet's party. They did some Moliere. And Moliere. that house that was built by the same architect as, as Palace of Versailles is actually for sale at the moment. Ooh. I think. And should so we you buy can it? Actually, you can actually see it. I think it's something along the lines of like 400 million 
pounds or something like that. Some oh, ridiculous that's fine. Price. That's how <laughs> it's, much it's, we get from the Patreon every month. I think it's like, if not the, the most expensive, like one of the most expensive houses in the world. And it comes with like, it's, it's completely up inside. It's amazing. So if you're like me and like spending time on Rightmove or Zillow or whatever, just creeping through people's houses, this is a specifically good one to go Okay, through. we'll put the link on the, yeah. on Twitter or something. Anyway, uh, Moyer's plays keep getting sharper and sharper. He's really skewering the upper, upper class, so he starts taking some heat for that. But the king still loves him, so much so that he agrees to be the godfather of Moyer's son. Uh, and I think it's because despite this like really intense satire of all the upper classes, he never actually attacks the monarchy, which is very shrewd. Mm. Uh, in 1664, the year in question, he writes his most famous play, which is called... Gone with the wind. Close. Two. <laughs> the breasoning. <We'll> d- <laughs> yep. Got it. Do you know what it's called? Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Yep. Correct. You guys Earl both got it, actually. Francesca. It's its third name, what, it, what it's more popularly known as, is Tartuffe. And it is a comedy that lampoons religious hypocrisy and gullibility. It's this about this guy named Tartuffe who's welcomed into the home of a wealthy man and is presenting this very pious and faithful exterior, but inside is actually very deceitful. And he's actually manipulating the wealthy man and trying to take over his household, steal his daughters, et cetera, et cetera. Are we all trying to do that? I know. It's the the autobiography of Ant. Oh, wow. That's my self-help book. <laughs> <laughs> Teaching yeah. toxic masculinity. <laughs> Tartuffe or toxic masculinity. Uh, Louis XIV loved it, but under pressure from the Archbishop of Paris, he actually had to suppress it because it presented such a strong critique of the religious establishment. Hmm. But the king continued to privately support Moliere, probably saving him from excommunication, which is nice. And the play would be staged for private parties of aristocrats. And eventually, in 1669, Moliere premiered an edited version of it, which was allowed to be performed. And that is still the version that is performed all the time to this day. Uh, can't move. Can't, you can't the move. Of this. There's actually somebody performing it in your living room right now. <laughs> Every single high school across <laughs> yeah. the country. Uh, yeah. Tartuffe, tartuffe to the ears. All the time I have to make a paper mache Pope's outfit for you know my cousins <laughs> or whatever. Now, what part of the Pope outfit has paper mache? Uh, the hat? The indomitable spirit of the Catholic Church. Uh, okay, okay, great. <laughs> Uh, sadly, Moliere didn't live much longer after this. In 1673, he was starring in his own play, which was called The Imaginary Invalid, which is kind of ironic oh. because he was a real invalid. Uh, and he had this huge coughing fit and started hemorrhaging blood on stage, Oof. which makes for a really fun night at the That's theater. Daniel Day-Lewis levels of commitment. <laughs> that really yeah, is. he was really method, <laughs> really, really method actor. Uh, he insisted on completing the performance, which I think is something Daniel Day-Lewis would do. Absolutely respect that. And then as soon as he got home, he collapsed again and died soon after. And to this day, there's a superstition in the theater that green brings bad luck to actors because that's what color he was wearing when he died. Not like licking dead badgers that gave him the <laughs> consumption or whatever. Just the... Yeah, but green, mostly the green, not well, the licking of badgers. What was consumption? TB. Oh, it was TB. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and under French law at the time, actors couldn't be buried in sacred ground, which I think is wow. wild. Wow. 
Uh, but Moliere's widow actually asked the king to make an exception, and Louis XIV said, okay, he can be buried in the part of the cemetery reserved for unbaptized infants. Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah. you know, a good compromise there. That's good. What was so wrong with acting? This is what I'm saying. They can't decide if they love them or if they're just absolutely reviled. That's so crazy to Yeah, me. I know. I think it's just sort of generally seen as kind of like lowbrow that be in the bars associating with like, like you know, it's like prostitutes and actors yeah uh, like you know and, and mimes or whatever like you know it's a lowbrow <laughs> mimes i get mimes yeah, shouldn't yeah. be buried in sacred ground and i'm willing to <laughs> die on this hill and i think it's also probably something to do with the fact that you're actually effectively just lying right you know you are not you know yeah, yeah there's no wall there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it yeah i think they were doing right they were satirizing stuff they were body they were yeah. uh not taking things seriously Naughty it does monkeys. seem really harsh not to let them be buried in a cemetery yeah. but mm. um oh well i do think eventually they walked that one back i'm not i can't confirm but <laughs> any dead actors any dead actors in. who are listening please let us know where your final <laughs> resting place is whether or not it has been consecrated anyway that is moliere and tartuffe love it Podcast. Podcast end. Podcast end. Okay, here we go. Outro. Hello. No. <laughs> nope. We did that part already. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. There it is. That... <laughs> the... We're keeping all of this. In. Yeah, you, I mean, we're not ending this out. <laughs> we we, we want the world out. to see you People suffer. People need to know how bad you are at reading a script. <laughs> You're like, in, like incapable of it. <laughs> He's rubbing his eyes like a tired little baby. <clears throat> Okay, we're watching him. Will is going to do the outro. Thanks for joining us. That's everything <laughs> you'd ever need to know about the year 1664. So, Will, can you please... <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, Will. <laughs> before we do this, though, before we go on, go on with the script, I would like to go off script for a second. Oh, God. To say uh -oh. a hearty thank you to our listeners out there. I've been actually graced by meeting a couple of listeners... IRL oh, recently wow. and they have been full of nothing but praise despite the restraining order that the all of our order. listeners have against uh, us and it was it, it was very good and they, I wanted to extend that to my two co-hosts Anne and Will for congratulations to you um, I will still bask in the glory on your behalf anytime oh, sure thank um, you very much and if you think that someone else would enjoy this then you should definitely tell your friends and who knows maybe um, you can be buried, be in, buried sacred in sacred ground. ground. <laughs> yes, I, was, I really struggled at the end of that sentence. There. We can pull those strings. Anyway, uh, that leaves us to say, Will, we need to get the next random year, please. Can you boot up the random number generator? I absolutely can. And as a reminder, we've set the random number generator to choose a year between the years 1000 BCE yep. and 2000 CE. Before and the Christ era and 2000 in the Christ era. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. Uh, and the year is mm -hmm. one fat lady and two zeros to 800. <laughs> Worst bingo ever. What's, what's, what's a zero in bingo? 
Uh, I don't think you can get a zero in bingo, can you? Ah, uh, that's probably why there's no uh, bingo. Because you already have the numbers that it draws, and it's like, this is the zeroth number. The year's 800, yeah. to clarify, the, the year's 800. 800. Okay, the year's 800. 800. As they say, one fat lady in two zeros. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to this year for that exact reason. 800, okay, great. You know, we've been coasting. I think the, these last few years, we've had a lot of uh, relatively modern ones with mm. a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. back to the trenches we go. Back into the archives. <laughs> yeah, dredge up. I now have a British Library reader's card. Oh, nice. Which you could only get recently. Like you used to have to do like an interview to get it. Mm-hmm. To be like, why are you worthy of books? Yeah. And now you don't need to do that. So I can go there and touch all the books I want. Should great. we go and... Have you been to the reading room? It's really great. There's many. There's, it's great. Yeah, There's yeah, loads. yeah. It's I, awesome. My uh, British Library reader's room pass is, I would say, the worst picture of me ever taken. <laughs> and I will show it to you after That's we amazing. stop recording. Maybe we can put that on the Patreon. Maybe put it on the Instagram. <laughs> we should go and look up something that tells us how to build a time machine so we can go back to the year 800 to do the research to- first. Or make an event worth worthy of remembering. Yes. Because I'm assuming there's not much. What if we succeeded in that, got in the time machine, went to the year 800, and the first thing we said was, two fat ladies and two <laughs> zeros. And then we all got the plague, I guess. No, a little early for the plague. Yeah, I think, oh, I think so. Yeah, very early for, very early for the plague. Okay. Find out next time. Bye. Bye. Toodle pip. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.